really, really uh, very scary times. You know, when you go, when you leave your um, house and uh, uh, you just don't know, it's like literally 50-50% chance that you might not come back or it's like holding your life in a glass jar and, you know, <laughs> that might could break easily if you drop it. Welcome to Rosin the Bow, an audio journey through the world of the violin family. Hi, I'm Joe McHugh. And as I thought about what interview I would feature for this week's podcast, I found I was both troubled and saddened by Russia's unprovoked attack upon the sovereign nation of Ukraine. Large numbers of civilians are being killed and injured, and homes and businesses are being destroyed, along with government buildings and basic infrastructure such as roads, water systems, and power stations. How do people endure such senseless cruelty and hardship? And how are musicians in Ukraine dealing with the war? And luthiers? Their world has been turned upside down, and they don't know what tomorrow will bring. So I decided to feature an interview I did back in 2015 while visiting Eugene, Oregon. Bashar Mahdi is a violinist, and he was studying music at the University of Oregon. He was born in Iraq during the Iran-Iraq War and lived through the uncertainty of the war in Kuwait, followed by the United States invasion of his country. Through it all, he clung to his love of the violin and music, and it was that love that helped him survive and eventually to be able to come to the United States. Here then is his story. So my name is uh, Bashar Mati. I was born um, in October 25th, uh, 1983. I was born in Baghdad, Iraq. There's um, a minority in Iraq. It's called uh, Chaldean. And uh, I happen to be uh, a Chaldean. And that, what that means is that means I'm um, Catholic Christian. And uh, there's today, I don't know the exact number, but there's about three to four million um, left in the world. A lot of them migrated to um, Western countries. Um, the majority of uh, my family, for example, is in Detroit, uh, Toronto, Australia, and some in Europe. And this migration has been over a long period of time or since the troubles that really started with the war in Iraq? Right. Uh, I have uh, two of my uncles uh, came to Detroit in the early 80s. And so actually, I, I haven't met some of my cousins yet because um, some of them left when I was not born yet or um, a, a child. And so some of them I met actually when I came um, to the States. And what, was there music in your family growing up? I started when a little bit late. I started, I play violin. I started when I was 16 years old. Um, when I was um, in junior high, actually, I 
wasn't doing really well at school and um, the you're supposed to serve in the army it's mandatory and so one way to uh, delay that is by being in school and uh, the higher degree a degree you have the the less your service is so for example if you have a master's degree or something higher I, I believe it used to be two years you only serve for two years in the army now this no. is pre-war this is under Saddam yes this is um, this is even in 2000 I believe and so um, when I was in junior high I was struggling with classes and high school I you know my my, my parents were trying to find a way where I can um, go to school and uh, not struggle as much. So high school um, was one of the last options. So um, I ended up going to um, the Institute of Fine Arts, which is five years. You, uh, you end up with a diploma in arts. The first three years, you study general arts. And then um, the last uh, two years, you specialize in something. And so I ended up with music and violin. So had there been anyone else in your family that played? No, I um, I actually, my brother did go to the U- University of Baghdad, uh, the music school, for um, a couple years. He was an organist, but he never continued. He um, ended up pursuing a different career that my dad had. What was that? What did your dad and, do? Uh, he made neon signs and... If you have a new business and you want to make advertisement, and he was really good at Photoshop, and so he would design something while you're there as a customer, and um, you can tweak it and say, I you make changes, and then they can make it into signs. Um, so when you were younger, would you go to church? Yes, I um, every Sunday. And did you? Um, was there a lot of music in the service? Yes, I I did play violin uh, at church every Sunday, and I participated in activities. Um, so I did go, and you know, I used to go to church a few times a week because I was in different groups and um, serve, you know, the church. And um, I'm just kind of exploring when that idea of of love for music came from? Where you heard it? Was there folk music at all in your family? Or where'd you hear? I mean, it's growing up. What was music to you when you were growing up? What kind of music was around? And what turned you on? Right. Um, after after being a, a music student, and um, I remember when I was practicing, I realized that my mom had really good ears. <laughs> because uh, my mom... Um, made clothes. She was a seamstress. And I remember uh, sometimes at night she would be singing with the radio and she was very in tune. Uh, And I always knew that uh, that's where I got um, my ears uh, because my mom uh, had good ears. But uh, really, uh, we never listened to uh, classical music, um, um, or my parents never, um, my parents, both of my parents uh, don't have, They, I think the highest uh, went, they went was junior high or less. 
None of my family have a college degree, actually. And so there was no music um, other than just radio and um, humming a song. And there's not much in the Islamic tradition. Is there much of, I know there's, there's bowed stringed instruments. So right. what's, what's um, at the core, at the foundation of this idea of the bowed stringed instrument sound that might, you know, because you made this choice to go in that direction? Right. Um, so it's always been, and you know, since, uh, what, 2000s or 1000? I mean, there are bowed instruments we have, and we study here in the Western music, we study in the Middle Ages, there are some strings instruments, and um, I believe they did exist uh, before then in civilizations like Babylon and, and um, Egypt and um and some, for example, there's this instrument called joza, and that's that's one of the instruments you hold. Um, I mean, you put the instrument on your lap, and and um, I, I think in some countries they play violin like that, where they they put the instrument on um, just like a cello, a, a very small cello, mm-hmm. and this joza I think has two strings only. Now um, the music in the Middle East. Uh, there is a quarter tone uh, that we don't have in the in, in the Western music, and um, growing up, uh, a lot of my uh, friends they could play. There's a lot of improvising uh, involved in, in Middle Eastern music, and uh, there's a, a term they use. They say if you're good at playing violin, they they say this person can make the violin cry. Because they can improvise really well, and it it sounds so good, and um, also very sad. You literally can cry listening to a violin, someone playing violin, um, and that's that's really a cathartic experience, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, I it's a healing uh, thing, I think. Oh yes, yeah. Um, now I played when I was at school. I had to play uh, some uh, Middle Eastern music, but but I was never good at improvising. Because I was always more interested in in um, Western music, classical music, and so the only way I would be able to play is if there's if it's notated. So if I'm playing in an ensemble situation, there had to be music in front of me so I can read. I could make the quarter tone. I I do have the ear for that, and I still do. Um, I I I believe that. Growing up in Baghdad and and listening to hearing, getting used to music uh, uh, there ha- made me to today had added to my um, we say uh, musicianship. Um, I think when I listen, for example, to Mahler symphony, I notice. I don't know if it's a personal thing, but. I can really cry when I listen to a Beethoven symphony or Mahler or um, if it's a slow movement, you know, or if it's really sad. I feel like compared to many of my friends, I, for example, I can cry. I've not, I don't usually meet people who, who have that um, reaction to music. And 
that is very, very common in where I grew up. You can easily listen to a song and relate it to uh, your life, your experience, and um, cry. My wife just listened to this uh, book on tape. She's a painter, so she likes to listen to books on tape when she paints. It's all in the history of the Middle East, America's relationship, the United States' relationship, going way back to the Tripoli pirates and the Mediterranean and so forth. But such a troubled history. Yeah. So many players and right. such uh, you know, divisions and artificial creations like Iraq itself. And that creates a lot of pain. And, yeah. uh, and in some ways, you know, we have in, in the United States, we have our blues. And yeah. even the music I play is so influenced by the blues, which is from hundreds of years of slavery. I, I can't imagine the suffering that those lives uh, really went through, the people who went through that. But it comes into the music. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think one thing, uh, Catherine, my teacher, uh, she always tells me that I tend to play too much like a, a Baroque like style because the way I hold the violin, the way I always feel comfortable where, where I play in the, the bow. And I think it's because uh, I did play some, you know, Middle Eastern music and um, the way you use the technical aspect of using the instrument is different. It's not as... Um, specific as when you when we study the violin here, you know you have to have a, a really powerful sound, strong sound. Where you know where you're in the bow, how much bow to use, and where to hold, how to hold the bow, um, and su such uh, things. So basically, as a Chaldean. My first language is not Arabic, even though I was born in Baghdad. I, I speak Aramaic, and we also call that Chaldean. I speak Chaldean. And so when, when I was born, the first language I heard from my parents was Aramaic, and that's very different from Arabic. It's almost, it sounds like someone speaking uh, Hebrew, compared to Arabic, it is, because that's what they spoke in the Babylon civilization. You know, before Islam happened and before Baghdad was called Baghdad, and, and, then, and then Babylonians took Christianity after Christ. And then uh, 2,000 years later, we have these countries called Syria, Baghdad, and, and then in Baghdad, in Iraq it, uh, itself, we have Chaldeans, we have Armenians who came from Turkey who speak Armenian and also Arabic. And I, I speak uh, Aramaic, Chaldean, and Arabic. And Kurdish also, Kurds have to speak Kurdish and Arabic if they're going to um, school in Baghdad. So I learn Chaldean at home, and that's what I speak uh, uh the language I use uh, to communicate with my uh, family, my mom, brother, dad, um, relatives. And then I have to go to school. Um, and so I have uh, a lot of uh, Muslim friends, Armenian friends, and, you know, there are other uh, minorities. And so I speak and write Arabic, and that's what we study at school. Uh, we use Arabic. Why don't you tell me what happened when, when you left and why you left? And, and if you want to get into the details of, you know, how the war came up and impacted that, just give me that story from your own experience. 
as things began to heat up? Because you, you basically you're in school there at the time. Saddam's still the ruler of the country. Yeah. And this whole thing is beginning to get up ahead of steam with uh, the war that's coming. Right. Um, so I was born during the Iran-Iraq war. I remember as a child uh, some memories, um, uh, unpleasant memories, um, hiding and praying with candles <laughs> when I was nine years old. Um, and then and then right after Iran-Iraq, there was the Kuwait, when Saddam decided to invade uh, Kuwait. And then that was uh, also really, I have more memories because I was older. And and then as a college student, the, there was this 2003 uh, war, which uh, was really the, the scariest because it was it's different, you know. There there was the war, and then a year later, all of a sudden, uh, we have uh, people blowing themselves up or uh, people kidnapping other people, and there's. There was no government for a long time, and there were no borders. You know, when the first two years when there was when there were, the wars happened, and you were held. Uh, the, which which one? Oh, the war it's, with the United States when they came in, and, um, and Saddam was toppled. Yeah, I was fifteen, sixteen, um, uh, sixteen, I believe. Um, that's yeah. And so the war happened, and um, people were really excited. Saddam was going to go away, and we're, um, Iraq was going to be another state, um, <laughs> you know, in terms of um, safety and political freedom and all that. And then, um, you know, I remember um, people would play soccer with with uh, the U.S. Uh, American soldiers on, on the streets because they were very welcomed. Uh, this was before it started getting really messy and we started having suicide bombs and, um, you know, the mess that's still happening. What was happening to you then right. in terms of music even? Yeah, and so Were you playing it was a- so I left Baghdad in 2006. I went to Jordan. Um, and so I I was in Baghdad during the war and um, I was there for um, from 2003 to 2006. And that was really really scary. It was um, I, more impact you know, because I was an adult, and um, uh, it was also different. The war was different, and I saw things not improving, and just really, really uh, very scary times. You know, when you go, when you leave your um, house, and uh, you just don't know. It's like literally 50-50% chance that you might not come back. Or it's like holding your life in a glass jar. And, you know, <laughs> that might could break easily if you drop it. And uh, I remember at first when, um, like, we'd hear someone from a few blocks away would you know die or be killed or it's there's no safety uh, people would be really sad and then 
everyone would talk about it. And then a few years later, it's, it becomes so common that um, it just, do you know that person? Um, he he was killed yesterday. I was like, oh, no, you know. <laughs> it, it becomes more commonplace. It becomes, yeah, you get used to it. You adapt. And you're you're in this environment and you're playing your violin how much a day? Um, yeah, when so I started, a, I had a late start. I started when I was 16 years old. And um, by the time I was, I, I took on music, there was really um, a lot of good musicians had left the country, went to Europe and um, the States and other places for, you know, better opportunities and, um, and safe careers. Right. Yeah. And yeah. Safer, and yeah. safer. Yeah. And so I, uh, I studied with uh, a teacher. Uh, he was 83 at the time. And um, his name was Fuad Al-Sadn. He, um, he was an amazing person. He, he, I studied with him for two years three years and then um, I studied basics mostly with him then when I went to Jordan in 2006 I worked uh, I played in the I went I was studying at the uh, Jordanian uh, music conservatory and I was playing in the orchestra um, working as as a work study and then, and what vi- violin were you playing? Where did you acquire your first violin, or the violin you really began uh, to play? I, when I yes, I had a Chinese-made uh, violin. Um, I I couldn't afford uh, buying an instrument. Um, and then when I went to Jordan, uh, it it was a, it was okay. Uh, I wasn't as as advanced as a player so uh, having a you know a really good instrument was not uh, especially you know being in war and survival mode and all that you know having a, <laughs> an expensive violin um, make you nervous <laughs> yeah <laughs> and also you know um, the economy was really bad uh, that when you say buy a violin for five hundred dollars that's a, that's a lot of money to, to to purchase an instrument, you know, and so in Jordan I I played and uh, I I was uh, really lucky to study with a Russian teacher um, for one year, almost a year and a half, and that's when I really started studying a little more advanced uh, pieces. Uh, I was uh, twenty two at the time, um, and then I. Um, the you know my parents went to uh, Kurdistan, uh, north northern Iraq, and decided to stay there. Um, um, and while I was in Jordan, um, up, you know, trying to come to the states um, um, and studying, um, trying to stay alive. <laughs> so was your ability to play the violin and your determination to learn to play the violin? Is that the the uh, 
sort of the magic carpet that was able to bring you to the United States because of the music? Well, so when I was in Baghdad, I uh, was playing in uh, orchestra in Baghdad, and we used to rehearse in, um, at the Green Zone. And so uh, basically, if you were working with US mil- with the U.S. Army, um, that was really dangerous to do, especially later after the war. My brother once got a, a threat notice because he was making signs, street signs, um, where like you know where the huge sections of the green zone. So the streets were being renamed for the military and everything. And uh, but my brother got a notice saying, "If you um, you can get literally killed, or your family can get killed," and so he had to stop. And so. Um, Basically, there was uh, at the time there was a you could easily uh, it was a lot easier for you to come to the states if you had any um, relationship uh, affiliation with the U.S. Uh, military or anything like that. So I had a badge that had my name that was made by the military that I had access to those places, Green Zone, and um, and also in two thousand three uh, we went to Washington, D.C., Kennedy Center. At the time, this was a huge event. It was, um, the project was, uh, is named, um, was called Music Through Peace, something like that. And uh, basically, the the whole symphony went to Washington, D.C., and we performed a concert side-to-side with the National Symphony Orchestra at Kennedy Center. And uh, at the time, President Bush was there, and um, um, Yoyoma p- performed with us also. It was it was a fantastic experience. It was uh, December two thousand three, and that was also another reason why um, some of my friends are uh, musicians in San Diego now um, were able to, you know, also in Jordan and. Um, uh, that's, those are good reasons why, you know, because when you leave, you have to have good reasons. Why are you leaving? Why, why you know, why should we give you a visa? Or, um, and if you have good reasons, it, it's better. I mean, everyone have good reasons, you know. Um, no, it's, a, it's a huge issue now, of right. course. Right, yeah, in it's Europe a lot worse States, now. Yeah. A lot worse. But so it was really the music that was the door. Right. The reason why I end up in Eugene, because I could have probably been in Detroit, um, is because um, I was in a relationship with um, someone from Eugene. And um, we met in Jordan. And um, I I ended up coming here because my uh, girlfriend was uh, from Eugene. And, And then I went to Lane Community College for three years, and um, then um, I was searching of uh, another, um, because of all the stereotypes, oh, you can't make a living with music, and and, and I thought, well, I'm already um, behind in terms of, uh, technically speaking, and also all the thoughts I had from growing up as a musician, you can't make a living, and... Um, pick something that's more practical, maybe being a nurse or something or a lawyer or a doctor. And so it took me three years uh, when I was to Link, uh, at Lane Community College. 
I went. I studied uh, one year English as a second language, and then two years I did my general education classes. And uh, during that time, I met many counselors in in different um, majors, and uh, I really struggled. I didn't love anything more than music, and um, and then uh, I took a lesson, you know, with Catherine, and then. Um, I remember I was saying, you know what? I, I can't waste any more time. I have to believe my heart. I have to, you know, I have a calling. I I believe if I follow my heart, work, give it all I have, something will happen. And, and so I took a lesson with my teacher, Catherine, and she told me that I have good ears, good talent, but but then also this is the reality and uh, what it would take to um, and and then I decided to do that and um, I've you know I've worked hard but also I don't think that I would have I have to say this um, I don't think I would have been able to make it this far or um, not only just being at school and and um, Finally, getting my bachelor's degree, which which took me twelve years um, to to get, but also that the fact that my teacher Catherine believed uh, in me and um, always understood my situation and um, and gave so much that that um, it was it kept me going really. You know, and so, and so I finally finished my uh, bachelor's degree, and uh, I decided to continue uh, with my master's uh, here at the University of Oregon um, in music performance. And so, this idea that we have a family of instruments related to the violin, the yes. viola, and the cello, and then there's this violin family, which is these people that we wind up developing lifetime relationships with and uh, and they help us move forward in life in a way that life has meaning and possibilities yeah and I think a lot of people don't find that path in right. other ways whatever happened to your teacher uh, in uh, in Iraq the the older man the 80 year old man I a few years ago I I heard um, that he passed away um, he uh, the only he was a great amazing he actually studied in in france uh france as a, you know when he was younger and um he used to be a viola mainly and then but he taught uh violin he 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 was a great man but um he what's the best thing he ever taught you just one lesson one one idea that you got from him that you still hold on to and it can be about life, not necessarily how you play the instrument. Something you got from him. He he was very honest, and um, I remember he he came from a very very religious family, but he was he did not believe, uh, and um, what's the word when you don't believe in 
He's an agnostic or an no, atheist? Or a, no? he, he was an atheist, he yeah. Was. And he came from uh, a Muslim family? Very religious Muslim family, yeah. yeah. And um, he was so educated. And sometimes um, we, I would arrive to my lesson a little early, and we would drink coffee, and he would talk about that. And uh, it was the very first time I um, met an atheist. Uh, but but he, it's but he was better than many people who believed in God that I, you know, known. And so it just it just it was an example for me that it doesn't matter what. God you believe in or what you religious you you are or what's your background your actions and how you treat others is the most important and he would give free lessons to people students who couldn't afford lessons and um he when he taught that's all he did he, he 100% he would give it 100% uh, get involved very very um, very, um, what's the word? Not serious. Um, he g- gave it all he had. Um, and he was completely in the moment. Yes. Which I think the whole experience of music is we're all trying to get to that place where we learn that art, which is yeah. like, why that's so difficult. You know, because we live in the past, we live in the future, or it seems like all the time. To be in the moment right. is so much of what I think the musical journey is about. Yeah, um, uh, yeah, that's true. Um, today, since we're speaking about instruments, I, I'm currently I'm using one of my uh, teachers, uh, Catherine's violins. Um, uh, named Franz and uh, also made by uh, Franz Kimberg uh, in Chicago. And um, I've been using it for a little over two years now. And um, it's, you know, I understand when, when she talks about the power and the the butter and compared to my previous instrument or just the feeling that uh, I just want to, be in the practice room and practice because there are things you can do and also you have satisfaction. You know, you get, um, for example, if you're playing on the G string, you know, or a higher position or... Um, so um, uh, I did make a huge progress past three years. Um, and I also think it's also because of playing on a good violin um, uh, helps. And I wonder if today, sometimes I wonder if today's musicians who have, from very early age, access to amazing instruments, how how much does that influence them being as good as they are um, 10 years later? And um, like Sarah Chang, for example, I was watching a, a video on YouTube, and I think when she was 10 or something, she went with her teacher, and, and they were trying to pick instruments for her, and there was like a Strad, Guarneri, Strad, and, and she was a, a little kid, you know? And so they decided, the, I think it was the Guarneri was the best option for her. Um. <laughs> <laughs> what was that, the best option? <laughs> I heard the local symphony here in Eugene has what they call the instrument petting zoo for kids. 
and uh, to get kids involved in music, which I think is a great idea. So they can go in at these uh, public concerts they do in the summer and where you get large audiences and they come with their family. The kids can go and they can pick up a violin and a cello and, and they get a little certificate for each one or mm-hmm. punch a card. I forget how it works that, you know, they've tried all the instruments. We should have that for uh, people who are much further down the musical road. There's like a petting zoo where we can all play a Guarneri for 20 right. minutes. You know? um, two, <laughs> That'd yeah. be a great experience. Two years ago, you know, when um, you know, I'm still searching for a violin in my price range, and, um, and meanwhile I'm using Catherine's violin, um, um, sometime like two years ago i used to think oh how how i can't practice if i don't have a good violin you know if i have to go back to my current instrument which uh i feel like i can't play and uh catherine um tell me it's not about the violin it's you you know you should i should still be able to practice and and make music and i can still do uh what i want to do on any violin um today i feel like um I you know this this is the path I chose and I believe in music so much I believe that music is can do just as much as the medical service can do it's so important and I believe music can change lives and and so I feel like today I you know I can't stop even if I don't have a violin uh, an expensive violin or a violin that has an expensive sound um, because you can have a cheap violin price-wise but it will have a really good sound and that's all that's what it's all about it's about the sound and how it can change reflects how we can reflect and I'd almost think from what you said that once you discovered this almost healing power of music and your ability to play it, even if you don't get a secure livelihood out of it, it's like not having the good violin. Yeah, you're still going to do it. Yes, that's yeah. But, um, well, it's also it's it's better to be ready and not have a, like an uh, an opportunity than to have an opportunity and not be ready. So I I cannot not practice until I have a good violin, and then so you have to practice even if you don't have a good violin because one day you will have you will have that opportunity and you will be much better uh, much better violin thank you very much thank you for really having me appreciate Thanks. spending time with us let's listen now to Bashar perform a portion of the Brahms piano trio in B major he is accompanied in this student recital by Yun Han on piano and Catherine Bernhaver on cello.
Thank you for listening to Rosin the Bow, an audio journey through the world of the violin family. Rosin the Bow is produced by Joe and Paula McHugh in the studios of the Raven Radio Theater. Our theme music was arranged and performed by the string quartet, The Fretless. If you want to learn more about the Rosin the Bow project, hear additional podcasts, please visit our website, rosinthebow.org. And let me finish now with a quote from Dave Brubeck. I knew I wanted to write on religious themes when I was a GI in World War II. I saw and experienced so much violence that I thought I could express my outrage best with music.